Hey everyone, welcome to the Power of Why podcast replay edition. For the month of August, we are pulling from the archives, replaying previous conversations with guests on the show. And this is an episode that Stephanie Harrison and I recorded last season. Stephanie is the founder and CEO of The New Happy, and she is someone who is so consistent and intentional with how she shows up every single day. Enjoy the episode. The problem that I see is that people think they're going to find their purpose by sitting at home and reflecting. Mm. And that just doesn't work. (laughs) Um, So really what the research has found about finding purpose is that often it's catalyzed by an experience that you've gone through. And very frequently, it's an experience that you didn't want to have as well. Many people find purpose in the challenges that they've been through. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Power of Why podcast. My name is Naomi Hiley, and today I am joined by the incredible Stephanie Harrison. Steph, how are you doing today? I'm so well. Thank you so much for having me here today. I'm so honored and delighted. I'm excited to have you here. It feels, this is what I said when we, when we first started talking, <laughs> that it feels like it's been a long time coming, but I think this is the, the, the time that we're supposed to be speaking. So thank you for agreeing to share your story with, with my incredible community. And for some context on Stephanie and her story, uh, what I really love about Stephanie and her work is that she's so focused on delivering incredible content. She is the founder of a company and thriving community called The New Happy, where she helps people to redefine happiness for themselves so that they can flourish and be a really Um, important component of their communities. She is a writer, a traveler, a yogi, and makes learning a priority in her life. Stephanie has a master's degree in the study of positive psychology from UPenn. (laughs) She's worked for LinkedIn, Thrive Global, and Deloitte early in her career, all leading companies in the spaces of human capital management, and learning and development before she left earlier this year in 2020 to pursue the new happy full-time. So Steph is Canadian, actually <laughs> from Oakville, which is I was super excited to, to hear about. And currently she lives in Palo Alto with her partner. So thank you again for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So can you start by providing us a little bit more context on your origin story, like how you grew up? And um, yeah, everything before your career. I'm really curious about that. Yeah, of course. So I, as you said, I grew up in Oakville and um, I am a proud Canadian, though I've lived in the States for the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, my, my early life was wonderful. I feel incredibly blessed to have had a very loving family, two siblings who I'm very, very close with to this day. And in many ways, I was given a lot of opportunities and had a lot of um, great fortune in that I was able to pursue the things I was passionate about and curious about all throughout my young life. Mm-hmm. And for me, when I was a kid, that really centered around reading books. <laughs> um, I was an obsessive reader. I used to follow my mom around at the mall reading a book like I was Belle in Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> um, and I love to learn and I love to explore new worlds and reading has always been my, my favorite way to do that. And um, I 
I feel I, I, um, I ended up kind of going on a different path than I expected when I was in high school. I ended up participating in a service project to India and having an experience there working in a leprosy mission that profoundly shaped my philosophy on life because it was founded on the principle that people need meaningful work and to be able to contribute to society in order to feel worthy and that they, they can truly flourish. And having that experience of being there and seeing the impact was very profound and, and has really shaped the way that I see the world. And I really believe that the philosophy that, that I encounter there is something that we also need to embody in, in our world where we are right now. And um, that experience in high school ultimately ended up setting me on my path to go to NYU because I was really curious and expanding my perspective and leaving Canada to explore new worlds and then ultimately into my career. That's incredible. Yeah. And I didn't mention that your, your first entryway into the U.S. was through New York City. And um, it's, so, it's so incredible to have that type of experience especially in high school, like very early, I'm assuming you were like six, 15, six, yeah. 17. Um, and to um, have the opportunity to go somewhere completely different. And just, I love traveling because you get to meet so many different people and just see new ways of life. Um, what I get, yeah, it was around meaning and purpose for you. How did that translate to when you came back home? and looking into programs that you wanted to pursue um, at NYU? I think that, I mean, that trip was um, my first encounter with my immense privilege as, who, as the person I had grown up with. And I realized in that moment that we who are lucky in any way have a moral responsibility to do good for other people and to help those who are in less, less privileged circumstances. And that even, you know, even the act of going on a service project is in and of itself a complicated act of, of privilege and of opportunity, um, as well as, you know, problematic in some ways. But what I realized, and again, what I, what has kind of shaped my perspective on life is this, this real foundational belief that if you have something, you need to find a way to give it to other people and to share it. And that has been my guiding light ever since. And the, the hope of the new happy is to try and find ways to enable that mm -hmm. and to help to facilitate it. And so I would really say that my, my, ex my experience there is what catalyzed that meaning and purpose in my life. And has been the thread running throughout the, the remainder of my experiences driving me forward. And the reason that I wanted to go to school at, at NYU is because I was really lucky to be, um, to be a participant in this program where you actually get to create your whole entire curriculum yourself. And so I was able to design a program that was really like about that topic, <laughs> um, which is such a privilege as an undergrad to be able to choose these uh these focuses and to self-direct in that way mm -hmm. and there was no other program really like that in the world and so it felt like this amazing opportunity to honor this new purpose i had found through academic study 
Mm -hmm. Very cool. And it reminds me, one of the articles that you wrote on your website, which I'll definitely link to here, you uh, talk about four different groups of people. Mm -hmm. um, so group one, I'll read it, people who have a purpose and a job or a hobby to express it within. Group two is people who have a purpose and don't necessarily have a venue to really practice it. Group three, people who are not sure what their purpose is, right? But really wanna find it and, and maybe even create it. And group four, people who don't feel like they need an overarching purpose as they find meaning from other sources. And that experience, as you recount it today, I think was part of you know, your story when it comes to creating something that was going to allow you to explore and figure out what your interests are and get a little messy in, in, in the sense that you didn't know what to really expect, right? Yeah. Um, so what has been the most interesting, I guess, conversations around this subject? Because I think sometimes it can be overwhelming for, it was overwhelming for me, which is why I started this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what can I be doing and how can I use my strengths to really provide value to other people? So what has been the most interesting thing about, I guess, these groups, these four groups of people and how you hope to help? What a great question. I think that the thing I see most often in my work with, with individuals is this overarching desire for a purpose and for meaning. There's a huge drive for it, particularly in, in younger people these days, yeah. which is wonderful. Uh, but the problem that I see is that people think they're going to find their purpose by sitting at home and reflecting. Mm. And that just doesn't work. <laughs> um, so really what the research has found about finding purpose is that often it's catalyzed by an experience that you've gone through. And very frequently, it's an experience that you didn't want to have as well. Many people find purpose in the challenges that they've been through and use that opportunity to find ways to either take care of themselves or take care of other people. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times what, what, what we see in the research is that people get stuck when they try and think their way to purpose. And you can't think your way to it. You have to do stuff. You have to go out and try stuff. And so, you know, even for you with this podcast, I imagine that you would say that you feel light years away from the purpose, the person who started this because you, you have done so much. You've, you've added so much value. You've contributed. You've learned. You've grown. All that great stuff. And imagine if you hadn't done it you'd still be stuck in the same position wondering what my purpose is. And that's why I think, and you know, the, the reason that I often see is because people get really hung up on finding the right thing or the perfect thing or, you yeah. know, the manifestation of something that's quite big. Mm -hmm. And the best advice I have for people is to get started and just try something. And it just needs to be one step closer to something you're interested in helping with. Mm -hmm. And the other thing which relates to that is that I think when people are asking themselves about how to find their purpose, they're asking the wrong question. They're asking, what's my purpose? That's not going to get you an answer. Your purpose doesn't, isn't about serving you. It's about serving other people. It has to be outward facing. 
So the question is, who do I want to help? Or what problem is devastating to me that I can help with? All of a sudden, when you ask those questions, so many possibilities open up and it becomes, I think, very exciting and cool. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that we aren't going to think our way to figuring out what our purpose is, but what role does reflection and being introspective play in this? Um, I don't don't want to call it a search per se, because I think part of it is being able to cultivate this Mm. in your activities or within your being, Mm. but what role does reflection play in in the purpose game? (laughs) I like that. Uh, Maybe that's what we should call it. Um, You know, it plays a huge part because meaning is constructed. It's, It's what you decide it is. You are in control of it. And so... That's why you can find meaning in, in anything if you, if you are conscious enough, reflective enough, introspective enough. You know, one of my favorite studies by a professor from Yale, she studied people and a lot of her work is actually the backbone of the academic study of meaningful work. And she quotes this, um, this, this person who works in a hospital who's talking about how much they love their job and you know she asks what do you what do you think this person is because they're talking about how they're responsible for healing and helping others and they contribute so much to making people feel better and everyone guesses it's a doctor but it's actually a janitor and you know the fact is is that we can decide what the meaning of our lives is Mm -hmm. and that happens through the reflection and the conscious creation of the narrative and you know the the beauty of that is that if you don't like what your life's meaning is then you can you can reconstruct it you can rewrite your story and that is this very beautiful gift that that we have as humans I love that story Uh, I read it I've read pretty much all of the articles on your website Um, (laughs) it's one of my favorites (laughs) that was a beautiful excerpt and it was a lot like it was very intricate and describing and when you come to the end of it, um, I'm like, yeah, I wonder a doctor or a nurse maybe. And it was the janitor. And I'm like, really, we do so much of this is, is up here. So much of living, I think is up here. Um, and your ability to construct meaning and, and redefine experiences that may have been painful, but, you know, looking back in hindsight, you realize, whoa, like that was the thing that led me to this, that led me to that. Totally. Like, the number of times that I didn't get something I wanted and it turned out to be a massive blessing or, you know, led, allowed for something else to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, um, you know, it kind of, it reminds me of that Steve, that famous Steve Job quote about how you can only connect the dots looking backwards, you know, um, which I think is another really beautiful testimony to that concept. Mm. Has that alleviated you from this pressure to force things? Like, what's your perspective on strategic planning for the next 10 years? <laughs> like, what was your view on it, maybe, like, at the beginning of your career and, and now? And what the, I think that quote was really powerful. Um, but has it alleviated any pressure um, from you? So um, I would say that the first few years of my career, I was 
very hardcore about that kind of stuff. Um, plans? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had all these plans and they were, you know, five year, 10 year, 20 year, 50 year. And I, I was one of those people who was doing stuff like tracking my daily actions in an Excel spreadsheet. And, you know, um, I had like a list of values that I measured myself against every single day. Um, you know, and looking back on it, it sounds very tiring <laughs> to live like that. Um, and you know, like it's, it's, um, it was how I was trying to learn how to be this person that I wanted to be. But you know what, I've over the last few years, especially as I've gotten older and learned more about life's challenges and unexpected events that happen, as well as learned um, a little bit about being more gentle and tender with myself, I feel as though if that's your, if that's great, if that's good for you, if that's fulfilling and makes you feel happy and satisfied, then I say go for it. My experience now is that the, the idea that we have control over our lives in that way, especially when you look out long-term is not, it's not correct. It's important for you to feel like you have control and to exercise it in some way. But I also have learned the value of serendipity and flexibility and spontaneity. And so, you know, like everything, I, I sort of think of them as, as the needing to hold the space for both of those in the paradoxical way. So how do you hold your goals in one hand and your flexibility and your, your kindness and compassion for yourself in another, and then lean on the one that you need in that moment, you know, mm -hmm. like, how do you, and that's a daily thing totally. uh, for me. And I'm sure for many other people, like, should I be kind to myself today or, and like kind of relax and take it easy? Or should I really like push hard and achieve this goal and activate that energy? You know, I think, I, I think we're all very hard on ourselves. And if we were kinder to ourselves, things would be easier for us. And so I would, I personally, as the product of, you know, Western culture that leans more on that hard to yourself side, have needed to learn more of the, the self-compassion side of things and the spontaneity and the, the flexibility of it all. Mm -hmm. And we're recording this conversation in August. So it's, we're mid-August 2020. And we're, you know, we're like self-isolating and our world's a lot different than it was even seven, eight months ago. And so I think holding both, um, both ideas at the same time, that mystery and things mm. that you can't really describe, but also um, keeping your goals at the, at the forefront and like working towards something is like from my perspective, and I completely agree with you, Stephanie, is absolutely necessary to keeping yourself sane. Otherwise, everything just becomes out of your hands, you know yeah. what I mean? And I think it's the quickest way to burn out. Is, yes. And just being gentle with yourself is something that I know I've been exploring more uh, during this time and creating space for that to, uh, to actually exist. Mm. Um, 
You also wrote another article called uh, Why Follow Your Passion is Terrible Advice. And it kind of <laughs> reminds me of, um, I know you know Liz Gilbert. Yeah. Liz Gilbert, author of The Big Magic. Um, and you talk about, can you talk about how we got here as a society? And I'm specifically talking about the West. Um, you know, how we were arrived at talking about passion as a way to find what we're meant to do in this lifetime as opposed to just following your curiosity you know yeah which I'm as I mentioned in that article I love Liz's philosophy on following your curiosity and really shaped what I mentioned earlier about finding purpose as well like the it's the the doing um so I think the whole like follow your passion thing is it's very intense <laughs> you know like it, it kind of goes back again to what we were just saying about this whole um harsh like i call it the hammer your life into shape with a you know as hard as you can philosophy where and a lot of people are really into that right now and i just am very uh i'm i'm not <laughs> and so i think he, it's the, the whole idea of following your passion and then we've we've told all these people that they have a passion to follow like yeah. we've told them that that's something that is inside of them and that if they don't find it there's something wrong with them or if they don't have one there's something wrong with them and most people don't have a passion as i as i mentioned in the article the research has found that most people don't have a passion that they can pursue as a career mm -hmm. and Furthermore, even if you have a passion that you pursue as a career, it doesn't correlate at all to what makes you happy in a career, which is a completely di different set of characteristics. Yeah. So you could be living your dream job and your dream life and actually be incredibly dissatisfied and unhappy if you don't have these other conditions that are met. Mm -hmm. And I think that, again, the pressure we put on people to say, okay, this is my passion and this is the only thing that I can do, sets you up for massive disappointment. And it also eliminates the opportunity for that flexibility and spontaneity that I was talking about. You know, it's, it takes away the fact that what if you get sent to a job, you, get, you take the only job you can get or the only job that's available, you know, you go there, you think you're gonna hate it, but you suddenly discover that you have this amazing talent for sales. And suddenly you get sent on this path that you never would have gone down if you had just said, but my passion is animals. I have to work with animals. Right. Like, you know, whatever, again, it's just, I, I think we're teaching kids and young people the wrong thing. I, I really think that we should help people to figure out what they're good at and then use those strengths in different ways and different venues in order to then build the things that lead to a great and fulfilling career. Um, so, so that's what I would counsel everyone. Mm -hmm. And um, some of the, I think there were three characteristics that were mentioned. One of them is competence. So it's, mm -hmm. actually, you know, maybe not starting off as good at something, but over time and hard work and diligence that, and research that you're able to gain a competency in a particular skill and um, they say that that is something that leads to you being like fulfilled uh, in your career and in your life. Exactly yeah and then the other two characteristics are relatedness so having great relationships which is so important. Yeah. Um, 
I worked at LinkedIn, as I mentioned, and one of LinkedIn's core cultural values is relationships matter. And the culture of the company is so incredible because it's founded on the idea that you should invest in your relationships and that investing in your relationships is actually a really good use of your workday. And so that kind of culture makes it, <laughs> makes it such a special place to work and makes people feel very passionate about working at LinkedIn. And that shows how we have the relationship the wrong way around. It's not that you are seeking out the thing that you're passionate about. It's about the fact that if you seek out the characteristics, they actually then lead you to feel passionate about what you're doing um, versus, versus the other way around. And then the third characteristic is uh, autonomy, which is something that you gain as you progress in your career. And at, again, really important related to competence. The more competence you have, the more autonomy you're going to get in your job. And I think it totally depends on what company you're working for. And you mentioned building relationships is a crucial part of LinkedIn. I mean, that's what you guys do. Like that's the service exactly. that you, that you provide to, to the world. And uh, I think that's, it totally aligns and it, and it makes sense. Right. Um, so you, I mentioned in your bio and I was introducing you that you recently earlier this year, um, moved on and, start, and started working on the new Happy full-time. Can you talk a little bit about your decision-making process and, um, yeah, how it's felt these past couple months to, to be solely focused on this? Yeah, of course. Um, well, a couple of things. I started the new Happy a few years ago just as a newsletter, and um, really it was a little project that I started for myself because... I had experienced a major challenge in my life, which was that my partner had suddenly become very, very ill out of nowhere and um, had begun deteriorating health-wise. Mm -hmm. And I was working at LinkedIn at the time, and then my days and nights were slowly becoming consumed with trying to figure out what was wrong with him because it took, him, took us a year and a half to find a diagnosis. And I felt that I just really needed something for myself and um, something to, uh, you know, a little bit of space for, for myself that wasn't devoted to him or to LinkedIn. And so I started writing this newsletter, which came out of the thesis I wrote in my graduate work at Penn, where I kind of analyzed all this stuff about happiness and then proposed a new framework, um, which led to the company being called The New Happy. And um, you know, it was just a newsletter for, for a long time. And then with everything going on in the world with, with the pandemic and the fact that we're revisiting a lot of these things that we've taken for granted right now and things that need to be revisited, we, I felt as though it was the right moment to focus on this full time and to really direct my energy towards towards that um, and to, to help to try and bring it to people who really need support right now. You know, this is such a challenging time for so many people in so many different ways. And if there's any of the knowledge or uh, support that I can provide, then it would be, um, it's an honor to, to do that. And I felt kind of, I felt called to do it. I felt it wasn't, even really a choice you know it was a it was a calling that i felt like i had to answer because it goes back to that that 
thing about purpose. How do you, if I have all this knowledge about well-being and there's so many people who are suffering right now, it's my moral responsibility to do something about it. And I also knew that there were many other people who wanted to help and to do the same and bringing them together in community is so important to me and using the power of our community to get back and to help is what I'm hoping to do moving forward. Mm -hmm. That's um, incredible. And at the beginning of this too, I did notice a lot of your posts um, for folks who aren't connected with Stephanie on LinkedIn, um, you know, offering your services when it comes to looking over resumes and cover letters and all of this to figure out ways if, you know, you were laid off or you lost your job, how, what are some ways that you can reposition yourself to, to get back into the market? So that was something early on that I noticed that I just want to say uh, thank you for doing, um, oh. for leaning into. If there's anyone out there who's been laid off, you can email me and I will happily help you with your resume or LinkedIn or mock interview coaching, whatever it is you need. So just email me. It's Stephanie at the new happy.com. I'd be happy to help. Love that. Um, Stephanie, when you were growing early on, growing the new happy, I know you mentioned that it was a newsletter. Um, what would you say the strengths that you had really understanding what you were good at? Uh, besides doing the research, because, you know, your whole career and even your thesis in university was about this subject, but what are some of the other strengths that you found were really helpful in developing this community, developing this newsletter early on? Hmm. What a great question. I mean, I did a lot of things wrong. That's, that's the immediate thing that comes to mind is the things I wish I had done differently. Um, I... I think that my strengths would be, I really like to make friends with people. Mm -hmm. um, I really like to connect with people and to hear their stories and to, to help in just by like listening and being there. And I think that I try really to offer that to our community in both a written form and then also you know whenever possible in face-to-face -face or zoom currently conversations to be there for people um and to just connect with them i think so many of us just really want to be seen and heard and i try to honor that in the content that i produce whether it's you know thinking of someone in my Often when I'm write, writing something, I'll be thinking about somebody in my life who's going through that challenge and then write as though I'm writing to them. It helps me to feel really connected. And um, that's been something I've been trying to lean on as a, as a strength. And I also think that um, I, I strive... And I'm sure I'm not always great at this, but I strive to be really empathetic to people's suffering and challenges. I think the the challenges that I've gone through over the last few years with Alex's illness have been very, very profound and have really helped me to understand more about, about suffering and pain in my own life and how to hopefully be there for people in ways that are 
actually helpful because I think all of us can probably relate to times when we really needed some help and we, the people who showed up for us didn't show up the way we needed them to because they didn't know how. And so um, something that I've been working on with that personal knowledge is trying to figure out how to extend it to the way that I show up for other people as well. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I guess, I guess it's just, I, I'm trying to bring my heart out like to, to do that because that inspires other people to do the same. And I think we need more of that. Mm-hmm. I think that's interesting. I've, so Stephanie's content is long form content, like her articles that she writes and sends out every Sunday. And I think that's why it's so easy to read and go through. It's very understandable. Um, I feel like I can relate to you and what you're trying to uh, really share. And maybe it's because you have somebody in mind that you're Mm. speaking to and and are trying to uh, tailor. And um, I want to stay on the subject of like showing up for people because it reminded me of uh, option B, Cheryl Sandwood. Cheryl Sandberg's book um, and not necessarily knowing how to show up for people mm-hmm. when they're going through something difficult and if anything you like try to run away from it or shy away from even bringing it up at all yeah okay so during this time what are like practical ways and I know it's going to be different when you're interacting with different people but what are some really practical ways of showing up for people um, that is helpful as you said, obviously it's different in different situations, but there's one principle that I think is the the most important thing to keep in mind no matter what. And that is that if somebody you love is in pain, then the only thing you need to do is acknowledge the pain. People make mistakes when they think that they need to fix it or that they need to help you problem solve it or that they need to help it go away or whatever it is. Uh, nobody wants that. Nobody, nobody thinks that, you know, you know, your friend can just magically teleport into your life and fix this big problem <laughs> that's really painful and horrible for you or a loss or you know, um, something that's happened to you, it's not possible. And what happens is that people trying to be there, they really want to be there. So I really believe that they have the positive intent to support you and help you. People who love you would do anything to make sure that you're, you're not in pain any longer, but they get kind of caught in their egos trying to, trying to fix it. Yeah. And the, the main thing that I've learned is that people just want their pain to be acknowledged. They just want somebody to see it and to look at the life that they have now, where there's some gaping crater that didn't exist before this. Mm -hmm. And they want people to say, look at that crater. God, that's horrible. Like, you know, I I don't know how you're dealing with this, but like, I'm here for you and we're going to deal with it together. They, they don't want people to walk around the crater and, you right. know. <laughs> Maybe like when they're not, yeah. <laughs> you know, they don't want people to just pop in and be like, so are you up for a coffee or a drink right now? Without acknowledging the fact that there's this massive hole in their lives. And so 
and when you come from that place of being willing to see people's pain yeah and to look at it it makes people feel like their pain is real and valid and so many people in their discomfort as you said because we're not comfortable with people's pain you know we tend we treat it like it's embarrassing or something even though it's the it's the only thing we all experience like the only guarantee in life is that we're all going to be in pain in some way or another at some point in time so but we we kind of like don't want to look at it we look avoid the crater and it's like uncomfortable and yeah like all that kind of stuff and that makes people feel so small and so lonely and as an just as a personal example i had a friend who i felt very disappointed with because they didn't show up for me during this this time in my life and they said to me i didn't know how to how to you know i didn't want to bring it up because i didn't want to make you upset mm. and i said how how you bringing it up is not a thing <laughs> Like it's here all the time. I'm thinking about it 24 seven or feeling it or, you know, the, the craters in my front yard, I can't not see it. Right. Um, you're not gonna tell me something new by, by asking about it. And so if you're trying to be there for somebody you love, then honestly, just remembering to acknowledge their pain and to, to continue to be willing to see it as it evolves and as time goes by, not forgetting about it is life-changing as a practice. Um, and I, I try really hard to embody it. Sometimes I find it very hard too, because again, it's hard. It's hard to, to be in pain with other people, but it is, it's so important. I never thought about it in, in the sense that not acknowledging it may actually make the, the person feel small Mm -hmm. and unseen and just like they want to disappear. Um, and I think that that crater analogy that you brought up is, is fascinating because we, we can't afford to tiptoe around the crater. We can't afford to pretend it's not there when it's like the, probably the biggest thing in this person's life. Um, you know, whether it's losing someone or, um, you know, someone's going through just any kind of suffering in their life. So, um, I think those are all really uh, great points. I'd like to, because you briefly mentioned your, you know, your love for like planning and and stuff early on in your career. Um, so can you share for, because my, my audience is between the ages of like 19, 20 to uh, 27, 28. So around like. Such an amazing period of life. I think it's a, it's. Very interesting. I think when you, um, I've watched interviews, um, one in particular was between JLo and Oprah, and they talked about how the 40s and the 50s are where it's at. Like, this is the period when you are unapologetically you and um, really stepping into your into your power. And I think that, you know, this period is is just ripe with exploration and like trying to figure it out and maybe a little bit of angst and like feeling pressure. So um, what, you know, what would you, what would you say that would have been helpful for you, um, you know, when you were first starting out your career? 
any in in any domain in particular in work specifically or in life or both um let's do both so some of the best advice about finding your first job that i got from my dad which is very practical we can start there is find the job that's going to teach you the most and it goes back to what we spoke about with respect to, to competency. So building skills is so important because the more skills you have, the more that you can demand from the people around you, from your company, from your environment. So my dad gave me that advice and that's what led me to take the job at Deloitte because in consulting, you're given an extensive amount of training and support to help you to learn and to grow. And what I would really recommend to everyone who's thinking about what to do for their first job is not to get too hung up on finding something perfect, but to find something where you're going to learn as much as possible. And that's really supportive of your learning. Um, that is going to lead to so many benefits in the future because it sets you up for continued growth and learning over time. It's an exponential effect. And I really believe that that is uh some some really profound and very practical advice mm -hmm. in terms of life you know honestly the thing that comes to mind that i wish i had known and it's the reason why i started my company is not to get caught up in society's definition of happiness because it doesn't work and it's it's harmful and it's so insidious and so you know when you're told from a very young age that you need to be a certain way, do certain things, achieve specific things, and then you will be valuable and worthy, and then you will be happy because of it. You are being set up for, you know, challenges, suffering, depression, anxiety, so many other things. Mm -hmm. uh, I wish that I had known that it doesn't work because I thought it did, and it took me it took me too long to realize. And I wish that someone had told me when I was younger that the way to find lasting happiness and meaning is to figure out how you want to give to the world in some way, you know? And I think that from my understanding and my experiences with, um, with, you know, the, the next generation as a millennial, <laughs> um, millennials as well, obviously, but, um, you know, just the, the last two generations are so purpose-driven, so intent on meaning and giving back. I think that this will be less of a problem, but um, that is really, really hard to fight when society embeds it in every part of our interactions and in every fabric that we're a part of. And so um, that would be a piece of the life advice that I would, that I would share. Um, those would be the two big things that come to mind. There's, I'm sure there's lots more though. I love it. And if you want to definitely learn about the incredible topics that Stephanie talks about that we touched upon today, um, make sure to check out The New Happy. Uh, she sends out a weekly newsletter on Sundays, which I look forward to every single week. Oh, thank and, you. Um, I just wanna really thank you for, for being here and just sharing what you've been working on. And, um, Something that I, it's the last question that I ask on the power of why, which is what's your why? But I've been, especially after thinking about how 
problematic that question might be over these past couple of weeks. Like it's just mm-hmm. been ruminating my head. I've I've started to ask like, what are you what are you curious by, and what are things that you're sort of following in in that respect, and what's been piquing your interest. Mm. Interesting. I just think it's a limited way of looking at the world. That's it, that there is as if there is this one thing that you need to be working on and you need to figure out what it is. Mm. I, I honestly, I, I look down and I just see going in circles and unnecessarily and not being happy. Um, so yeah, what are you, what have you been curious by these days? Oh, well, I really admire that self-awareness that you're like, and that questioning and willingness to change. That's really beautiful. Um, I, I'm really curious about a lot of things. Um, right now, I'm really curious about systemic change, I would say, and how we, how we make things happen at scale and how we change things like organizations or companies that are going through challenges and make changes last. I think, you know, this, this, this line of inquiry has always been something I'm really curious about, but in particular right now with, especially right in America right now with the, in, I mean, the necessary focus on reshaping many of our institutions for the better in, and making them more diverse and equitable. I think that like many, I've seen the, the statements from companies about diversity and inclusion and I don't, and I, I want to know what's going to happen to back that up and how that's going to be, how that change is going to be made. Um, and there's a number of really amazing people on the ground who are doing, doing that work. Um, and I'm wondering about how we do that at scale, how we reshape institutions for the better to, to serve everyone, not just a specific type of person. And I'm really, um, and I know you share this interest as well. It's, it's how do we re, how do we shape organizations so that they bring out the best in people rather than suppressing them or creating more pain or more suffering. Um, so those are like some of the big questions that I've been noodling on. That you've been asking yourself and um, I can't wait to see what comes out from that and the further exploration because I know it's a question that we've a lot of us have been asking a lot of my peers have been asking yeah keep doing I, I know you're gonna keep doing the hard work like as you have been doing these past couple of years so oh thank you well um, maybe there's something about coming bringing people maybe one of the solutions is bringing people together to kind of organically brainstorm what those what some of those solutions could be you know um i really believe that if we can if we bring people together we can solve major challenges so um i'm i'm glad to hear and i know that you're going to do an amazing amazing part in that too and i appreciate how um right now just there have been a lot of voices and people specifically who have been doing this work for a very long time uh, who weren't being seen. And I think this, everything around the Black Lives Matter movement and just the, the unrest, people have, there's like a, there's definitely a limelight now. And yeah, you know, saying, oh my goodness, how could I not know about Thank these? God. Right. 
like they've they've been here the whole time right so i i am hopeful and i i see that these people who have been doing the work just need to be amplified and supported and invested in all of those good things so i totally agree and like where that actually leads into something else that i've been thinking a lot about which is how to how to amplify those people but also people who deserve those platforms as well so how do you, as a privileged white woman, I, I, how do I create ways to elevate people who deserve opportunities that I've been given for no reason and offer, offer those up? And what's my role in, in dismantling these institutions mm-hmm. and how, how, how do I, you know, address the 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 challenges in my own in my own experience and and those biases and i think that those are um those are the questions that all of us who have any form of privilege especially white privilege need to need to answer Mm -hmm. i think a lot of the big issues that we see societally whether it's in relation to the environment um i think they all come down to individual habit change and just being aware of uh, what place we have in society and how these institutions are benefiting us in ways that we probably didn't even know about. I couldn't agree more. Thank you, Stephanie. Thanks so much again for being here. What is the best place for people to connect with you? Online? You can find us at uh, www.thenewhappy.com or on Instagram at newhappyco. Very cool. And thank you everyone for listening to Steph's story and I hope that you can get a chance to connect with her and the incredible work that she's doing. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Power of Why. I wanted to thank you for being such an incredible supporter of the show. It brings me immense joy to sit down with these incredible guests and I am so excited for what this next year looks like for the show. If you haven't already, you can follow the link in the show notes to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and make sure to share this episode with your loved ones. See you next time.